Good to see you here at the Holy Spirit Ministry Service. And um, I don't know if any of you were able to be at our 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock service this morning. If you weren't, I really encourage you to, um, uh, by the end of tomorrow, it should be up on our web. All of our services are free on our web to watch. I encourage you to watch R.T. Kendall this morning as uh, he speaks about God's end time church and the midnight cry, believing that God is going to awaken his church for a great outpouring and revival that's going to bring millions of Muslims into the kingdom. And then finally, the, the fruit of Israel will be brought in. It was a powerful, powerful sermon talking about how God wants to awaken his church. So I, I mentioned that to you. Also, um, we are highlighting Artie's, one of Artie's most famous books, God Meant It for Good. We're highlighting this at our five o'clock teaching service on the providence of God. But I just thought I'd mention it with you tonight. It's one of those books that if you were to say, ask me personally, my top 10 books, you know what I'm saying? This would be in it. God Meant It for Good by R.T. Kendall. It's really the story of Joseph's life. And uh, it looks at how Joseph began with such a great dream, so, so much at the beginning, and yet so much of his life was a disappointment, a challenge, where just when he seemed to pick himself up, he got knocked down again. But all the way through that, the good times, the bad times, God was working in his life right through to the victorious ending. And uh, his famous words to his brothers where he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's um, 6.99, and I do recommend it to you because we've got some in stock. You should read this book at least once. It'll open your mind to the working of God. And also, if there's things hap that have happened in your life or happening in your life, you just don't understand, and you think, how can, how can this be God's will? How can God do something good out of this? Then, then that is a book for you and also to help you help others when they face difficulties in their life. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would like you, if you could, to turn to Romans, please, chapter 4. I want to speak today about walking in the footsteps of Abraham. Uh, I've got Handling Your Isaacs uh, on the back because that was a sermon I preached last year. And although my sermon is Walking in the Footsteps of Abraham, uh, I wanted this backdrop because in the end, Walking in the Footsteps of Abraham is all about getting your Isaacs. And what do I mean by Isaacs? I mean the promises of God coming through for your life. And I do, come to, I do come back to Romans 4 uh, quite a few times. I just think it's so important. I mean, R.T. himself says that the next major move of God will be based on Romans chapter 4. And I feel there's so much here for us. So some of you regulars will have heard me speak or refer to Romans chapter 4, and I don't make any apology about coming back to it tonight. I don't make any apology about going over some ground I've gone over before, because it really needs to be established in our lives. And more and more, I'm realizing that you don't establish something in somebody's life by preaching it once. That's why we've got a preaching program for the next two years, and um, we are intentionally thinking about the themes and the subjects that we're focusing on um, throughout that. Sometimes it'll be in an upfront way, like a 2.30 service or a 5, and then uh, at the 7 or in the morning, you'll see traces of that over a few months, because you preach on one, on one subject one Sunday and a different subject another Sunday. That's great, but people aren't going to probably work that into their lives. And what I'm teaching today must be worked into our lives, or else we're going to struggle. Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, following. Romans 4.11. And Abraham received the sign of circumcision 
a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk. It seems to be higher. I'm struggling with this, it's, and then I'm putting it right to my lips because it's not. But who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had. It's an amazing verse that. That believers are to walk in the steps of Abraham. What does that mean? That means that we are to follow him. That he is our Old Testament example. That we should look at our lives and say, well, how are you living your life? Well, I'm living it as near to Abraham as I can. That Abraham's failings, we have to be careful not to fail. Like Abraham failed. So the good things about Abraham should be the good things about us. And the mistakes that Abraham made, we should say, hey, we better be careful because we might make those mistakes. He is the model. And the picture there is walking in his footprints as he walks along the, uh, the sand and he's leaving footprints and we're trying to step in this. I remember once when Jake was a very young boy, my son must have been about six years old and um, it was, we were uh, at the seaside and it was a lovely day and it was coming into the evening time and the sun was slowly going down and we were just doing a walk on the beach and I was just walking along and he was lagging behind and I looked to see what he was doing and he was playing that child's game where he was trying to step in my footsteps and he was just going along stepping in my footsteps and looking at the ground so I thought I'd make it interested for him and I started to do turns and you know little sort of circles and it was interesting to see that as he got to them, he was like, oh. And all of a sudden, he realized what was happening. And it was a great game. A son walking in his father's footsteps. Well, isn't that powerful? It says in verse 12, those who believe who also walk in the steps, but not just any steps, the steps of faith. He is the father of all who believe. The steps of faith. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 13. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Straight away, we see the footsteps of faith here. And when we read these verses, we see that on the one side, we have words like grace, faith, promise, grace, faith promise. These are the words of Abraham. But on the opposing side, we have words like law. In other words, I could add flesh. And so when we're speaking about the footsteps of the faith of Abraham, we're going to be talking about grace. We're going to be talking about faith. We're going to be talking about promise. We're going to be talking about the guarantees of the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 14, it says, Faith is made void, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. That's very important for our lives. Faith can be made void. Promises can have no effect in our lives. There is things that can cancel out the power of faith. There are things that can make the promise no effect and we should be aware of these things. And Paul says that it's the law. Now I don't want to get into too detail about the law today but let me tell you what really he's talking about. He's talking about 
walking according to human reasoning, walking according to outward morality and outward actions and calling that the Christian faith. It's a Pharisaism, that's what he's talking about. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is all about walking by faith, trusting the promises of God, spirit-filled living. And the Pharisees were doing the opposite. They were living a religious form of life. And it was all external. It was all about what people thought when they gave. It was all about people seeing their religious acts and their praying. It was all about external things, but it wasn't about the heart. Jesus said, you don't commit adultery? Well, congratulations. What about your heart? You can commit adultery. You don't commit murder? You don't actually do the outward physical act? Well, so what? Your heart is full of anger and murder. You don't steal? Well, your heart is stealing. So Jesus was speaking against this outward form of religion. And as Christians, I don't think we have it here, but as Christians, we have to be careful. There's a lot of Christians that are Christians really only outwardly. They conform to a bunch of religious rituals, a bunch of religious rules and codes. But you talk about the promise of God in their life. They haven't a clue what you're talking about. They talk about active faith they don't have a clue you talk about grace they don't have a clue you talk about the work of the spirit they don't have a clue because it's as an outward religion as any of the false religions an outward religion can make faith void and the promise of no effect and what Abraham is telling us is that his footsteps are not about outward laws and regulations remember Abraham He uh, lived 430 years before the law was given. It's amazing when you think about that. Abraham, when he was on the earth, if you'd said, name one of the Ten Commandments, he couldn't do it. Never even heard of the Ten Commandments. No law. And not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. If he went to them and spoke to them about the law of Moses that they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. And then their descendants. For 430 years, none of God's people walked according to the law, the outward law. They had no idea about it, and they didn't need it. And you say, well, how did they live with no law? They lived according to the promise, grace, faith, and the Holy Spirit. And God gave promises to them all. Every one of them had a promise. You see it in the Bible. I mean, even the Moses generation, before they were given the law, they were given a promise, weren't they? And you know what? If they had obeyed the promise, they wouldn't have needed the law. What was the promise? It was a whole land, a whole land called the promised land. And God said, if you do my laws, I'll give you the promised land. No, no. Before the law came, he said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. All you have to do is believe, believe. And as they left Egypt, they didn't have the law, but they didn't believe either. The law came in because of unbelief. The law came in because they refused to walk in the footsteps of Abraham. So God says, all right, I'll give you a new footsteps, footsteps of the law. But that law will never give you victory. That law will never, as we've seen, it won't give you you the fruit of faith. It won't give you the effect of promise. Because those who are of the law, they do not inherit. For if those who are of the law are heirs, in verse 14, well, they're not heirs. They're not heirs. Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So those that live by law don't live by faith or the promises of God. And then it moves on, and uh, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to the whole seed. There we have it again, grace, faith, promise. You see, whenever God does something in our life, it begins with grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor. Not just when we become Christians. You know, when you are saved, it's by the grace of God. 
Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are saved through faith. Sorry, we're saved um, by grace through faith. And even that not of ourselves, but of a gift of God. Anything in your life that's of any worth, anything new that God wants to do in your life, it's grace. It's a work of grace. It's not just that you're saved by grace and that you're, you, you have your sins forgiven and then it ends. Everything, every good gift that comes into your life is grace. Undeserved, unmerited. Everything, every insight you have into the kingdom of God and the scriptures. Every revelation you have, it's grace. Undeserved, it's not of your own. Every breakthrough you have, it's grace. Everything, everything that is happening in your life that God is working in your life is by grace. Grace, 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 grace. Every miracle is by grace. Every prayer that's answered is by grace. Grace is the foundation of everything. It is totally undeserved. And that's why God's grace is so amazing and we should affirm God's grace in people's lives. Sometimes we can get jealous. We see God blessing someone and we say, what about me? Well, that's God's grace on their lives. God's grace. You can't say, that's not fair. God, you healed that person, but you haven't healed me. That's not fair. Wait a second. God doesn't owe you anything. That person was healed by grace, and you're going through your sickness by grace at the moment. You can believe God for a healing, but don't blame him when somebody else gets something undeserved that you haven't had yet. It was undeserved to them. And you don't deserve it. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have to have an openness to God. Grace. But when that grace comes, we have to identify the grace of God in our lives. We have to discern God's grace in our lives and cooperate with God's grace. So it's not just God blessing us and, being, and giving us undeserved opportunities. You see, if you have a gift in your life, say you've got a gift, a gift, an artistic gift or a musical gift. Or say you've got a business gift or an academic gift. Do you know it's the grace of God? It's the grace of God that you've got that gift. God has given, and he's given it to you and he's not given it to me. And he's given other people's gifts, but not to, it's God's grace, undeserved. You didn't do it, oh, I've got a gift and it's all about me. No. What if you're prospered? What if God has prospered you in business? Now, I know you've cooperated, you've done certain things, but it's God's grace. It's God's grace. We'll come to what you did. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. And the recognition of God's grace at the, at the, at the foundation of our whole life, not just saving us, but everything that's happens, God's grace. That is a very important thing because God's grace is so wonderful and precious. So, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure. So we have those three things again. Faith, promise, and grace. When you look at where God's grace is in your life, that's where you need to add your faith and cooperate. And God's grace can be a gift, a gifting in your life and an ability in your life that you've had, that he gave you when you were even before a Christian. A gift, it can be an ability, it can be a circumstance that you find yourself in. Some people find themselves born into very good circumstances, don't they? Some not so good circumstances. But if you are born in, in good, if you are born into a wealthy family, it's God's grace. And that means that you have to recognize God's grace and then cooperate with it. So God's circumstance, circumstances in our lives can be God's grace. Gifts in our lives can be God's grace. But often God will give us a promise of grace. A promise of grace. God will give us a promise. Speak a word to our lives of grace. What do I mean? You don't deserve that word. You don't deserve that promise. You don't deserve what God says he wants to do and make with your life. You don't deserve what God is promising to be in your life. It's a promise, especially for you, a, a, a grace, but it comes from his grace. And we need to recognize Abraham, you see, 
Abraham was just going around minding his own business, and God turned up. Why did God turn up for Abraham and not somebody else? It was the grace of God in Abraham's life. That's what God, grace, God can give grace to whoever he wants. He doesn't owe anybody grace. The moment you owe somebody something, it's not grace. Because grace is undeserved, unearned, unmerited. You hear what I'm saying? But God turned up to Abraham for no other reason than God's grace. And he said, Abraham, follow me. I've got a land for you to go to. And basically, to cut it short, he said, and you will have a son. And Sarah, and you'll have a son and his name will be Isaac. That was God's grace. There are plenty of families in the history of the world that ended up childless. But God gave to Abraham and Sarah something they didn't deserve. But he didn't give it to them immediately. He gave a promise. He came and he said, I'm going to do this for you. It was a promise, but it was based on his grace. He didn't deserve the promise. God's graciousness gave him the promise. Verse 16, therefore it's of faith that it might be according to grace. And Abraham, his life was to cooperate with the grace of God in him, promised to him. And his whole life now was to recognize that God had come into his life with grace. And that grace was with a promise. And that promise was his Isaac. And now his whole life was to believe and to cooperate with what God was doing in his life. There was no point trying to cooperate with God in things that he wasn't doing in his life. Listen to me, sometimes we're going down a road that God's not even going down. Sometimes we're believing God for things that he has no intention of giving us because it's not our destiny. Sometimes we act like square pegs in round holes when it comes to God. We haven't sat back and discerned the leading of God in our lives and the placing and the grace of God in our lives. So we have Christians, you know, wanting to do something that they've not been gifted with. Your classic is someone who can't sing, who thinks they can sing. And, they, and, and they're convinced that, that, you know, they should be up on the platform doing solos and part of the team. And they're convinced that God's told them to do that and they've got this thing in their mind. And then when, you, when they audition and you hear them sing, it's dreadful. There's no grace at all. Uh, and you try and tell them they won't have it. What's their problem? Their problem is, is that they are determining and telling God who they want to be, what they want to be, what they want to achieve, and what they want to do. Don't ever fall into the trap of demanding from God. Saying, God, this is what I want. This is how I want it. This is when I want it. This is what I'm doing. Bless it. He won't. He won't. And many Christians fall into that trap of telling God what he should be doing for them and, and going to him and demanding. You can't demand grace. How can you demand something you don't deserve? It would be like Beverly coming up to me and saying, I want that 10 pounds. And I say, she says, yes, I said Beverly Marcia. Stop trying to get in on the act. Always trying to get in on the act. Beverly coming up, I'll have that 10 pounds, please, Bruce. What 10 pounds? That 10 pounds you owe me. I don't owe you any 10 pounds. I know, but I'll have it anyway. It's like, but I don't owe you 10 pounds. I know, but I'll have it now, thanks. But I don't owe you any 10 pounds. Yeah, we'll have it. No, I won't. But then another time we'll be like going up to Marcia and say, Marcia, here's 10 pounds. You certainly don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Amen. Amen. So, but with God, so what am I saying? Discern the grace of God in your life. Discern the grace of God. Because that's where the power is and that's where the promise is going to be. And you say, well, I don't, I don't even know where to start. God's been working in you all your life. You just need to sit back and say, let me look at what's happened, what's happening, and let me begin to discern the grace of God in my life, the abilities, the gifts. Also, what has God been speaking to you about? What, what is God shaping you for? 
What is he preparing you for? We need to go to God and say, Lord, speak to me. Not according to what I'd like you to say, but speak to me according to your will. You had a promise for Abraham, and it says that we walk in the steps of faith that Abraham has. And in one sense, we share, of course, his promise, the multitudes that will be his descendants by faith. But at the same time, God has a special plan for you. And he wants to reveal it. I'm not saying that he's going to reveal it all. Sometimes he does. I've prophesied over babies their high call. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've, I've been in dedication services where you've taken a child. Before you've realized it, you've said, and this child shall be great in the Lord, and he shall do this, or she shall do that. And you've just prophesied in big, t- big letters the future of this child. And there's a lot of time to be passed and things to happen, but God's already got a spoke. I mean, you know, John the Baptist, when he was born, God gave the promise of how he was going to use him, didn't he? Jesus. It happens again and again and again. And you will find signs in your life. Sometimes we forget the things that have been spoken over us. Timothy was told by Paul, stir up the gifts. Timothy, things have been spoken over your life. You've got a heritage, a spiritual heritage. Things have been spoken over you, and you need to walk in them. It's not enough just to be a Christian or just to be a pastor. Hello, I'm a pastor. What do you do? Pastor people. What do you do? I teach them the word and help them and pray for them. And well, What's that got to do with walking in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham? And so what we can have is churches that aren't walking in the footsteps of Abraham. What they're doing, just Christian stuff, preach some good stuff, pray for people. Yeah, but what's the prophecy over the church? What, where's the church going? Where's the body of believers going? Where, they, they don't know. They're just wandering around doing spiritual stuff. There's some churches I know. I wonder why they even bother. They've got decent crowds, but they're not going anywhere. It's just the same old, same old, same old, directionless. There's no purpose or promise for them to walk in. But we know what God has spoken over this house. The many things he's spoken over this house. But we know the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. That's what's been spoken over that house. It's in our prayer, amen, it's in our daily prayer, prayer book. We know that. We know that. We know that God has called us to be a disciple-making center in the city. He's promised it, and he's called us to do that. We're walking in it. We know where we're going. We know that an elder in the 80s saw people walking into this very building, and as they were walking in on their foreheads, it said, hearers of the word. And then he saw them walking out of this building after the service, and on their forehead it said, doers of the word. And we know other things and many other things and we're listening to God and we don't just hear, hear God. You know, sometimes in Pentecostal churches, it's dreadful because when New Year's Eve comes, every Pentecostal church has a word from the Lord for the year. But often it's the same old, same old. This is the year of prosperity. I thought that was last year. Oh, right. Okay, and then this is the year of victory. Well, I thought that was a year before. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, this, this is the year of uh, whatever positive thing you can think. How about this is the year of distress? This is the year of the trial. You know what I'm Never in a Pentecostal church. And yet by the end of the year, everybody's forgotten what it was the year of. Because Pentecostals can't keep their attentions on things very long. And so New Year's Eve, it's the year of prosperity. Within three weeks, we're, we're, we're looking at something else flashy. We've got, we've looked, what, what? Oh, I've moved on from that. Well, we need to walk in the footsteps of Abraham. And Abraham had a promise. He had a promise of Isaac. And it took him decades, decades for Isaac to come. But it was the journey to Isaac that was even more important than the Isaac itself. You know, handling your Isaacs. Your Isaacs is the promises of God on your life that will be birthed into this realm. The promises of God that one day what God has promised in you and through you will come to pass. That's your Isaac. But don't think that the moment that Isaac is birthed is all there is. On the contrary, the journey to the birth 
of the promise in the natural realm. The journey to Isaac manifesting is more important than the birth itself. We have need, we have need of patience in order to possess the promises. Patience, endurance, patience. What do you mean patience? I mean that Abraham, his maturity came through believing God for the promise for years. His maturity as a Christian, if I can use that word, a follower of God, did not come through outward obedience and laws. Do this, do that. But his growth came not just in the promise, but in getting to know the promise giver. You see, it's not just about getting some sort of book of promises. Oh, I'll have that promise, I'll have this promise, I'll have that promise. And you're focusing on the promise. Actually, the footsteps of Abraham was not just about a promise, you shall have a child. It was about the integrity and the character of the person that gave the promise. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Christianity is all about trust issues. Trust issues. You know, you meet someone and you say, you've got trust issues. We've got trust issues. Who with? God. Abraham had trust issues. God said, God promised, God said, walk in my promise, believe me, I'll come through for you. And Abraham had trust issues, said it's taking too long, he was impatient. His wife said it's taking too long, it can't happen, it's not going to happen, we're going to have to do it ourselves. And what did they have? Ishmael. When they came up against difficulties, Abraham was told, Sarah will give you a child. Yet twice he said, Sarah was his sister and she was about to be married to someone else. He feared, this, he feared he feared man more than he feared God. He believed the dangers of his present circumstances more than he believed the promise of God. I like the promise that was given to, um, uh, I always think of this, the promise that was given to Paul um, in Acts chapter 23 verse 11. Acts 23 verse 11. And uh, there's a promise. God manifests himself to Paul and says, Paul, don't worry, you're going to go to Rome and testify for me there. And then again in Acts 27 verse 24, Paul is on a ship about to be shipwrecked and God appears to him again and says, look, I'm just here again to let you know again, you're going to testify for me in Rome. That's amazing because the moment God said that to him, guess what? No one could touch Paul till he got to Rome. Nothing could touch Paul till he got to Rome. Why? Because God had promised Paul that he was going to Rome to testify. And so it's like Paul is being tried. And, and straight after, God said to him, you're going to go to Rome, I promise you, and you'll testify. Straight after him, after that, if you read it, there was a plot for his life. Everybody got worried. Was Paul worried? Why was he not worried? He'd got a promise. He'd got a promise. And the promise was stronger than the circumstance. And then he's on that boat, and that boat is going down. And God was very gracious to give him the promise again, but he did, in one sense, he didn't need it, did he? And so can you imagine being Paul? You're on that ship. It is shipwreck. It is, and, and, everybody, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a second. I've got a promise, but we're just about to drown. But I've got a promise. I've got to go to Rome. And he stands up and says, hey, everybody, don't worry about it. I know I'm going to be okay. Oh, and God's just told me and promised me, you're going to be okay. And he was totally calm, totally collected, able to deal with an terrible situation of a shipwreck with calmness and faith and trust. Why? Because of the promise of Rome. And then, of course, he gets off that, doesn't he? And he's on Malta. And he's building a fire. And guess what? Poisonous snake bites him. And everybody stops to look to see. Because he's going to die. What does Paul do? Well, off to Rome. Shakes it off. Gets on with it. Wow. How wonderful. Wouldn't you like to have a promise like that for you? Not that you're going to go to Rome and go through all that stuff. But a promise that you can face things with. A promise that you can face not just trials. But mundane week to, day by day, week by week. Sometimes that's the biggest trial. When nothing happens, day by day, week by week, and you're thinking, no, no, just keep faithful. God has got a promise in your life. God has given you a promise. Don't, don't give up. 
Paul had a promise. Abraham had a promise. Jesus had a promise. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? The promise of you and I being Christians. He had a promise. He lived by a promise. Jesus lived by the promise. He promised the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. It's all about promises. Hebrews chapter 11, faith's hall of fame. All of them had promises. All of them. Even those that were living after Moses' law, they're not commended in Hebrews 11. Oh, and they followed the law. They're commended because they had promises and they believed God for the promises, even when they died, still not having received the promises. The promise, the promise, the promise. And those heroes of Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't all have the same promise. Well, they did in one sense, it was Jesus, but they had promises for their life on earth, didn't they? God has got a call, God wants you to do something, and, I, and he's given you a promise. Noah had a promise. They all had a promise. If we go to one of the most important passages in Scripture, the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk. Just after Nahum, if that helps. And just before Zephaniah. Habakkuk, chapter 2. Very important, this script. One of the most important scriptures in the whole of the Bible. It's repeated three times in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, in uh, Galatians chapter chapter 3, and somewhere in Hebrews. And they're, they're mentioned because this is how we are meant to live. Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. What do we mean, write the vision? Where does the vision come from, God? It's the grace bit. The language of dreams and visions is the language of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the prophecy was, and they will dream dreams, see visions, prophesy The language of the Holy Spirit, the dream, the vision, the promise. The promise. Promises are not always just words. Sometimes God will show you the promise. He'll show you. He'll paint a picture of it. When he told the uh, children of Israel in slavery in Egypt about the promised land, he didn't just say, I'm taking you to a promised land. He said, it's a land of milk and honey. A land of dew, a land of... And he described. When, when God has got a promise for your life, a purpose, a destiny, he won't just tell you about it. He will want to give you a picture of it. He wants you to taste it, if you like, through the vision, the dream. So here's Habakkuk, and he gets a promise. It comes from the Holy Spirit. All of this is the Holy Spirit, partnering with the Holy Spirit. It's not believing without the Holy Spirit or promises without the Holy Spirit or grace without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of all grace. He is the speaker of all promises. He is the the empowerment of all faith and the manifester of all miracles. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. He didn't just get a word from the Lord and then dismiss it. Sometimes, I don't think we do it now today, but sometimes there's been times in charismatic church history where you needed to have a new prophecy every week. Every week there was a new prophecy, and it was all about the new thing God is doing, the new word God is speaking. And so people would get a prophecy, and that would be great, tingly, wonderful stuff, and then you'd be waiting for the next conference for the next prophecy then the next conference for the next prophecy. And it was all about a fresh touch and a fresh prophecy. Well, I'm not really against that, except that people weren't writing these things down. They weren't writing these things down. One of the things that God spoke to me, and I've mentioned this to you again, and I make no apology, because until you do it, I'm going to keep doing it. God spoke to me when I was teaching on Abraham a couple of years ago, walking in his footsteps, similar stuff to what I'm speaking tonight. And God said, oh, that's good. So God was like speaking to me like, so... And I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. Walk by the promises like Abraham. And it was like, God said to me, where's your promises, Bruce? And I was like, here, Lord. 
And he was like, don't be cheeky. Well, he didn't say that, but I'm, just, I'm dramatizing. Here, Lord, I've got plenty of them. They're all in the Bible. All right. It's not good enough. You have to have promises for you, promises for your church. Promises. What promises has God given? And I thought, well, I don't really know. And so I felt I need to do something because it says write the vision and make it plain on tablets. And so what? I didn't get a tablet. I got a little book. And I I thought, okay. And I sat down and I began to meditate on everything that happened in my life. Things spoken over my life as a child. Things that happened. And I began to record everything I could remember. Scriptures, my, my baptism scripture. All these things I began to write down. Began to record. And as I looked at it, I thought, my goodness. There's a lot here for me to believe God for. There's a lot here showing me general directions or aspects of my character to focus on or things that, you know, lots here. I thought, this is, this is amazing. So I began to walk in those, pray those things and say, hey, I'm meant to be living by these things. In fact, I'm meant to be living by these things more than Christian rules and regulations. You know, touch not, eat not where not, do not, this, you know. Instead of thinking about my Christian morals, now, I believe in Christian morals, you know what I'm saying, but instead of focusing on what should a nice Christian be, I now had promises, prophecies, words that, that were there to shape me and to form me. And I began, and as things come, I've written more and more in, and it's fun, funny, sometimes you'll have seasons where God will be doing a lot of speaking. And sometimes there'll be a quietness. And, you know, for quite a while, I haven't put something in this book. There was a time when I was writing things a lot in here. There's been, a lot, there's been quite a while since I haven't put something in this book. Oh, has God stopped sp- speaking? No, but it's enough for me to get on with. I like Rodney Howard Brown um, when uh, he says, I don't know why people worry uh, when, when, when God stops speaking to them. Uh, because if I don't get a word from God, I'm, I'm happy because it means I'm doing what he's told me to do. I'm getting on with what he's already said. And try, instead of trying to hear a fresh word from God, what about the other words that we haven't carried out? So write it, make it plain, that he may run who reads it. How can you walk in the promises of God if you don't even know what they are? If they're not if you can't just grab hold of them, if something happens, a difficulty, an, an obstacle, and you need a breakthrough, and you say, well, what are my prophecies? Oh, I can't remember. I had one last year, one the year before. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. No, you need, to be, you need to have them written down. So why? So that you can run with purpose, go forward, and accomplish things. You know, when you have your prophecies or your words written down, you can begin to tick them off. I've got fulfilled prophecy here, unfulfilled prophecy. You say, well, I don't have all that. Don't worry about it. it, it, doesn't, it you just need one thing to focus on. You just, just one thing. It, it could be just one, two words. Trust me. You hear what I'm saying? D- don't tell God what to say to you. It could be something very simple, very easy. And you just run with what God says to you. And it can come in many shapes and forms. Sometimes from the scriptures. Sometimes in a cell someone prays over you. And gives you the word and you know it's God. I've said this before but God can speak through anything. I've had God speak to me words through the radio. Through television. Through films. Through music. I was mentioning at the five o'clock just a few weeks ago. I came back from teaching here at the evening Bible school. And... And, and I went home and I wasn't tired, so I stayed up a bit. And then near the end, I just started flicking on the music channels. And then I hit one music channel, and it was Take That. About, uh, and they were singing Patience. I thought, oh, that's, that's a nice song, that Patience. That's a good song. We need more of that. That's a nice song. Went to bed. Woke up, got in my car, uh, was driving to work, and I was early, so I thought I'll go to Costa Coffee, get a coffee before I went. Walked in, standing in the queue, song, take that, patience. Last piece of music I heard was going to bed, patience. First piece of music I heard in the morning, patience. See, I knew God was speaking. I knew it. 
I knew it. And, um, and, you know, I don't know how long that was for. I sensed in my spirit that this, that, that this wasn't something that needed to be written down. It was just something, hey, in the next few days or whatever, just keep patience in your mind. Sometimes God gives you a word for a day. Sometimes you can be going in for an interview and God will give you a word for that interview, can't he, if he wants to? Or a day, or a situation, or a meeting, or a conversation. or, or per- I mean, these can be words for a moment or words for the end of your life. God is speaking. Are we listening? Because if we're not walking in the footsteps of Abraham, how are we walking? Without vision, people perish. Without the leading of the Lord, we get into mischief. You know, churches that get into mischief have no clear direction. So they just get into all types of mischief. Christians that don't have any clear direction. I'm not talking about direction that you... You know, you're just going to have to grow and learn what's from God and what's from your flesh, aren't you? Can't teach that. Maybe we should do that sometime, discerning the spirit and the flesh. But you're just going to have to grow up and learn from God. But you often know it's from God. Why? Because it comes out of the blue. It comes from a different source. And it's, as I call them, a sticky word. So what do you mean, sticky word? Well, someone prophesies over you and it's like, whatever. You know, someone says, oh, I really believe. And he's like, yeah, you know. Or, 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 you know, but when God speaks, it's got a quality to it that sticks. It's not easily dismissed. You know, like I said, you can be watching a film or listening to a piece of music, and then suddenly there's a word or a phrase or an action, and it impacts you. And it sticks with you, but it doesn't just impact you like music can, but it impacts you. It speaks into your life. God's on it. It's sticky. It stays. I remember Colin talking about driving up the motorway once and, and, and he just looked up to see a big advertising board and it said, take courage. That's a beer, by the way. Take courage. That's exactly what he needed to At that moment, he looked up, saw the words, take courage, a beer advert. And it was, well, you, you could look at an advert many, many times. But at that moment, he looked at it, it stuck. You know what I'm talking about? It stuck. It stayed with him. There was something on it. It was God. And so sometimes you'd be reading the scriptures, and suddenly you come to a scripture, bang, it's God. So be open for sticky words to come into your life. But then don't dismiss them. Write them down. So write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. There is always the delay of faith. The delay of faith. Nearly always. And nearly always the, de- the, the delay of faith. Nearly always. The delay of faith is longer than you would like. Nearly always. Not always, but nearly always. Expect a delay. To expect what you're believing God for or what God's spoken into your life. My advice to you is expect it to be longer than you would like it to be. And you're probably in the right frame of mind for it. And the delay of faith, he says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. This is the crazy thing about faith. It's already accomplished in the spirit, but it hasn't manifest on the earth. So it's tarrying, but it's not tarrying. God has spoken. It's going to happen. It's as good as done. And and he's just preparing you now and positioning you to receive it. But it tarries. Faith always needs patience. And as I said, it's not actually receiving the thing that is the most important. It's the journey on the way to receiving it. You, God has got more, God has so much to do in your life. And it's not about getting things or having manifestations of promises. It's what he's doing in your life while you're trusting him. He is perfecting your faith. He's purifying your faith like gold. He's teaching you to trust him. While you're believing God for something, things are going to happen in your life. I mean, we go back to, I'm going to come back to Habakkuk in a second, but we go back to Romans, and I've spoke about this so many times, but it's so, so important. And I don't think, I'm not speaking about you, but I just don't think the church gets this or understands this. But back in Romans 4, carrying off from where we left on, I'm going to end up back in uh, Habakkuk again, but 
Romans 4. Abraham was the father of us all, verse 16, 17. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations. As it was written, this was God's promise, one of God's promise to Abraham. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. I said this last week, I think I'll say it again. If you were to sum up the God of Abraham, sum him up. If you were to say, Abraham, who's your God? Just give me two Two most important characteristics of the God that you serve. Describe him in two ways. Abraham would say this, this is my God. The God who gives life to the dead, number one. And number two, calls those things that are not as though they were. That's the God of Abraham. And you say, well, is that my God? Yes. Well, this is all linked to the promise. Gives life to the dead. God is a God of resurrection. The resurrection is at the heart of Christianity. Christianity stands or falls on the fact, the historical fact, that Jesus rose again. If Jesus did not rose again, it's just a joke. Let's pack up, let's go home. Our faith's futile, Paul says. But if Jesus did raise again, rose, raise, rose again, raised again, came to life again, then He's seated at the right hand of the Father and everything is possible for hope, those who believe. And God gave life to the womb of Sarah. And it says later in Romans that Abraham's body, when it came to giving kids, was as good as dead when it was time. And so they, they gave up, but God gave life and God calls those things that are not as though they were. So in other words, God is going to give us promises that aren't. He's going to show us ways that aren't. He's going to speak to us about becoming People that we're not yet. He's going to speak these things. And it's going to take a resurrection power and resurrection miracle to get what God is speaking to us about as a people, a church, as individuals, to come to pass. It's going to take the God who brings life to the dead. Life into dead places. It's going to take the God that calls those things that aren't. There are not. Don't be surprised that the promises of God are about things that aren't. That's the whole point. That's Isaac wasn't for a very long time. But God called Isaac that wasn't as though he was. And Abraham learned to believe that. And then coming back, and I'm, not, I'm going to come into a landing very soon. We come back to Habakkuk 2. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will, not sh- it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, verse 4. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. This is talking about people that don't walk according to the promises, but go their own way. God, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to make it happen, and will you bless me? No, I won't. I'll decide what I'm going to do with my life. I've decided what I'm going to do, and you can come along for the ride, Lord. No, thanks. No, not if you're in the driving seat, because you're heading for a crash. This is somebody trying to make life work without God's grace, promises, and faith. This is fleshly-minded, human-minded, human reasoning. This is using human actions to try and bring about an Isaac that is going to end up in Ishmael. Trying to make life work, trying to get it done. Even some Christians, given a promise by God, will try and make that promise come by by fleshly means. And instead of birthing an Isaac, it's an Ishmael all along. Interesting article in our Revival Times this month by R.T. Kendall, a uh, passage from his new book on Isaac and Ishmael in the charismatic church today. I encourage you to read that after this service to see how sometimes people can try and make something happen that God has promised through human means. But finally here, but the just shall live by his faith. Now that can be translated like this, but the just will live by his God's faithfulness. Not the just will live by his faith, my faith, but I will live by his faithfulness. This is what I want to leave you with tonight. Walking in the promises of God is not just a book of little promises that we pick out and believe, but walking by the promises of God is not so much about the promise, but the one that made it. The one that made it. When someone on the earth gives you a promise, That promise is only as good as the faithfulness of the person, isn't it? Someone promises to be there on time, and they're not. 
That's to do with their faithfulness. If someone promises you some money and it never comes through, the problem is not so much the promise, but the faithfulness of the one that gave it. I've said that Christianity is all about trust issues. And you will find that when God gives promises, what will happen is there will be that trust issue. Is God faithful? Is God true? Is God faithful? And we will learn to live our life by the faithfulness of God. We'll say, well, it doesn't look good at the moment or it hasn't come yet, but you know what? This was a promise, but more than that, it wasn't just a promise by somebody or anybody. This promise was by God, who is faithful, who never fails, never, he's not a man that he should lie. This promise is tried and tested, it's from God, and I'm going to live not just by the promise, but by the integrity of the promise giver. It's very different than modern faith teaching that often focuses more on the promise than the one who gave it. The promise is true, but only because God gave it. And so today, when we're talking about walking in the footsteps of Abraham, I mean, encouraging you to, to go and to make sure that you've got your promises or what God has spoken into your life. If you said, I've never done that before, it's fine. Just write what you know. If you don't know anything, ask God. He'll speak to you. It could be a, a, a many different things about many different things of your life. But God wants to give you promises because it's the promises of God that will shape you, form you, and mature you. You can't be matured by simply just living a basic moral Christian life. Go to church on, not that any of you do this, go to church on Sunday. Try, try, try your best not to get drunk. Try your best to keep sexually pure because that's what Christians do. Try and be kind to people at work because isn't that what we're meant to do? Try and not lose your temper. Try and, uh, where are you going? Is that all you're doing? Is that you're just trying to do not and to do, do not and to do because that's what Christians do or don't or do or don't? Is that Christian life? What an awful, terrible life. I tell you what, if you focus on doing and not doing, you'll end up doing the stuff that you shouldn't and not doing the stuff that you should. It's law. You can, that's not the way forward. Just trying to live a Christian moral life. I don't do, I do. I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for a fall, my friend, if that's your life. If you can't give me direction, if you're not attached to the vision of this house or whatever house you're in, if you're a visitor, if you're not attached, if you're going to a church and there's no real vision, no real purpose, the leaders can't tell you what I just told you, three, the three verses, and then can tell you exactly where we're heading in the spirit. And it, it, well, why go to that church? That church will just end up getting into all manner of mischief. And you yourself, if you're not seeking the Lord, if you don't have a word to work on today, or maybe this week, words can be short, long, or for a month, or for a life. If you don't have a word, you're just, you're just going around in circles. You're heading for a fall, my friend. It's the promises of God that sanctify us. It's walking it out with the Lord. It's walking in the footsteps of Abraham. It's, it's walking it out. It's belief. It's faith. It's grace. It's promise. It's identifying what God's doing in our lives and flowing with it, hearing what God's saying and walking in it. And that's where we'll have the tests. But every time we pass a test, we'll be closer to God. We'll be stronger. We won't have time to get involved in sin. Why? We're too busy walking with the Lord, seeking the promises. Our eyes are on things not yet seen instead of messing around in in, in silly quarrels about do this, don't do that. Abraham never didn't even know what to do or not to do. He was too busy just walking with the Lord, making his mistakes, but growing too. Let's stand in his presence right now. As we do that, when I said the God who, the, t the twofold aspect of God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. If you just read before that, it says, in the presence of God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. In the presence of God, not just scriptures, but the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Without the presence of God and the Holy Spirit's partnership in our life, none of these things work. Lord, we just present, why don't you just present yourself to the Lord right now? Why don't you, like Timothy, stir up the words spoken over you that come from God? Come from God. It might be things spoken over you as a child. It might be things that God has dropped into your spirit.
might be a scripture verse. It might be something you've forgotten that you need to dust off the prophetic shelf and start to walk in again. It might be many, many things. It might be just one thing. It might be just one little thing. God has just said, you know, I will be with you. That's, that's fine. Walk in it. He'll give you revelation as you need it. It might just be one thing. That's enough. Walk in that. Other things will be added. Get yourself a notebook. Write these things down. Walk in the footsteps of Abraham. Holy Spirit, touch our lives. If there's anybody with a word from the ministry team, I'd like you to come on the platform. If you don't have a word, that's fine. But if you do have a word, come up on the platform. We'll ask Christian to come up. We're just going to hear these words. Some of these words that are coming, I'm hoping that some of these words that are going to come are going to be a word for some of you. A promise or a word that you can take right now home with you. For some of you, others of you, God can give that to you directly. But who knows, maybe God's going to release some things that you can walk in. Cool. Leslie, what word have you got tonight? Well, earlier on, we were praying. And in this area, the balcony over there, and also here, someone who is saying this Christianity is not working for me I don't really know why I'm here it's not doing anything in my life and I you need to know that the Lord is hearing that and he's saying to you open your heart to him if you want to see the changes that you want you must open your heart to him you know, there's a scripture that says, when you honor him, he will honor you. But if you, if you, if you ignore him, if you dishonor him, you will be lightly disdained. What that means in simple language, if you don't give God his due, he'll ignore you. That's a powerful word, Lizzie. Our senses a few people like that tonight. Not just maybe one person, but a few people like that tonight. If you just go down there on the ground, if, if that's you and, and that word relates to you and you want to receive prayer tonight or you want advice, Leslie's going to be there at the front and you just come forward right now. Lola, what, what has the Lord been speaking to you? Yes, again, similar to what he said, um, I believe there's someone upstairs that you feel the sense of despair and hopelessness and you feel like giving up and as we were praying i felt god was saying get plugged in and as you get plugged in you'll be inspired and directed and um as we carried on praying i felt um i believe i felt hope so i just want to encourage you to just get plugged in amen so if you want to get plugged in if that word relates to you then come and speak to lola for a bit um as we were praying um I didn't really have a word. I felt frustrated at not having received the word. And as I was praying to God about that, he, he gave me a word that said, your frustration is the experience of somebody who is trying to do something and is feeling frustrated at the lack of progress. And the word the Lord is giving you is not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. So God is saying, be encouraged, just trust him, and he will show you how you will deal with the frustration in whatever you're trying to do, and he will bless it. Man, that's a powerful word. Hallelujah. If you, if you want to receive prayer concerning that word of frustration, then come down and Obed will pray for you right now. Um, for me, it's a healing. Um, somebody on the balcony at the right-hand side is experiencing pain at the back of the right ear is sharp pain it keep coming and going who's that up in the balcony is somebody in the balcony got pain in the in the right ear somebody in the balcony give me a wave if that's you pain it you're suffering from pain in the right ear sit in the balcony anybody here tonight you're not just in the balcony but you're suffering from pain in the right ear if that's you yep the lady there you come forward anybody else relate to that word someone suffering from pain in the right ear then 
AZ will be there at the front and just come forward and receive prayer right now tonight. We we'll believe Jesus will touch you. Um, I just believe there are some people maybe upstairs at the left side. Um, God just wants to give you clarity of vision. That was um, what I got when we were praying. Clarity of vision. Clarity of vision, okay. What word have you got tonight? Um, there's someone on that side, the, that, I mean that transept with a um, hearing problem in the left ear. But there's a voice saying to you as well that it's nothing. You should. I mean, it's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it because you won't get the healing. But I'm saying to you today that God is going to heal you. And if you come forward trusting and believing in those words, he would really touch you and um, heal you. Someone with problems in the ear, in the transept. Give me a wave if that's you. Yep, just gentlemen there. Then come right now and just receive prayer. Okay, let's all worship God right now.